Hi, smelly bellies. You ready to get smelly? Because I am. Hey, smelly bellies. How, how are y'all doing today? <laughs> Hi, guys. I'm Phil. And I'm Mike. I'm talking sexy tonight. And I'm just talking in my NPR voice. And I'm talking in my NPR voice, too. So, Phil, sexy, what, uh, sexy time. What, what's new? How, how have you been? <laughs> I sold my iPad, Mike. Oh, nice. Did you get some, yeah. get some fat coin for that? Um, I did. I did. It was an iPad 3, and I bought it in 2012. And I just realized I don't use it. I yeah. do not use it. Like, I mean, I use it at night in bed when I'm reading. That's the most important time. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so it's like, I can do that on my phone. And half the time I use it on my phone anyway. So I feel like, I feel kind of naked. Like, there's been there's been one time in the last four days in which I've wanted to use it. Oh, well. And I didn't have it. Well, but I mean, if, okay. if you're not going to use it, you're not going to use it, and you're good, you know? Well, the iPhone 6 Plus is going to come out in October, and then by then I'll just have an iPad mini anyway. Phil, I have right? a surprise That's for basically you. basically what it is. The 6 Plus yeah. is already out. What? Yeah, it came out last October. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. No, because I got the 5S. My 6 Plus S, excuse oh, me. Oh, oh. Excuse oh. me. Oh, yeah. and when, did you hear what they announced today? So the the event for the watch is going to be on March 9th. Really? Yeah, it's coming up. You're going to do the watch? Heck no. I see no use in that for me at all. Like, me I just I feel like... I, you, I, I do like that it like does all your fitness tracking stuff, and I've got a right. Fitbit for that. And honestly, like, I paid 150 for my Fitbit, and and that's still a lot for me. Yeah. But... I, to to like think of spending like three hundred on something like that because they they're gonna have the exact same problems they do with the iPads is this is not something that people have to have and they also don't have a way to offset the cost like with the cell phone plan so right. it means that people are gonna buy the watch and then it's gonna become outdated and they're not gonna replace it same thing that's happening with the iPads people just aren't upgrading to the newest iPads because. The ones that they have do work just fine. They work I mean, just the fine. iPad two was power more powerful than the supercomputers used in the Cold War. Yeah, yeah, and right? I, that I was mean, the two. And yeah, I would love a new iPad like Air. Like they're very sexy, very thin. They're very, nice. they're very cool. But yeah. like I've got like my Mini, and it does everything I want. It's got the Retina screen. It's got like the Lightning cable. It's got everything. It's like why do I need that? I don't. Yeah, so I figure I'd, if I'm gonna ever use an iPad again, it's, it's time to upgrade. It's been it's been three years, and mine yeah. still runs off the old crappy cable, oh, and it's just yeah. stupid having like ridiculous cables everywhere that I you know having to swap cables. Yeah, something that minute of a detail is but so painful. That's for the me. pits. That's well, the pits feel. I would be interested to know how many of our listeners actually use the have like did watches like that because the guy I know out here he has one and I'm not gonna lie he looks like an idiot swiping his freaking watch 
to like oh, he's to got, check Facebook. Oh, he's got like one of the Android ones or something? Yeah, and he's using it to like check Facebook and stuff. Well, and the it's way like that, like it's weird. not a natural position. Like the way you have to rotate your wrist and like pull it up and then like what do you do with your hand? Do you go like dinosaur hand? Yeah. I just barely let that domain expire if somebody wants to go get it. Dinosaurhands.com is now available. But do you like do you just do the limp the limp wrist? Do you do a fist? You, what do you, what do you do? You double fist yeah. it? You <laughs> Hulk smash. <laughs> Phil's making very gross gestures, people. <laughs> Whatever. Well, Phil I have to I have to say like this I just am still feeling awkward from our last episode i know like can we just like forget i thought we were just gonna breeze past it without talking about it no we gotta talk about it that's the only <laughs> way that we can become more of, comfortable with it it's kind of embarrassing so for those of you that aren't aware the last episode was our very first improv episode and phil and i have zero improv experience and we've never done any kind of improv <laughs> which before. is very obvious when you listen to oh, it oh it's so bad guys so so terrible so the Hopefully question you can laugh at like how awkward it is. Well, and so that's the question. But I don't right? even know if it's that funny. I think it's still so bad. It's not that, that it's funny. It's not funny. It's not that funny. It's, just... it's really not. And so that's what I want our listeners to report back to us with. Tell us what you thought of that improv episode because oh, we need geez. to know if we need to like just oh. be terrible again and go through that awkward like after we stopped recording we were both like ew. Mike sent me a text. He's like I feel dirty. Ugh. Feel feels dirty see you later <laughs> so anyway let us know please yeah. well before we get into our our planned conversation for this evening uh, i have a soda that i've been pretty excited to try uh, i'm a big fan of birch beers yeah and uh, so tonight i'm drinking a cuts cuts's cuts's town birch beer mm. uh, it's it's interesting but uh, they they really um emphasize their their ingredients you know triple filtered carbonated water pure cane sugar like they don't just say cane sugar and water you know um on the bottle it says say now no one can resist the spell of Cutstown birch beer pennsylvania's finest share a frosty mug with your special someone which i'm about to do and just watch Aww. them fall in love drink to your health so uh, here we go. I, I love a good. My favorite birch beer is Pennsylvania Dutch. So the fact that these guys are also in Pennsylvania, probably a good sign. Ooh, here we go. Popping. That was a good pop. Great good pop smell. Oh wow. Yes. Mmm. It really sounds so good in there. Mmm. Good. Good head. Oh. This is really good. Yeah? Yeah, it's almost like a little bit spicy, like, I don't know, kind of like that McFuddy's had that little peppery aftertaste. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, yeah, that's really tasty. Um, as far as, like, on the scale of the Pennsylvania Dutch, that's a 5 out of 5 for me on the Pennsylvania Dutch. This guy is going to probably clock in around a 4 out of 5. It's definitely worth trying. Head on down to your nearest soda shop and, and uh, pick up a Cutstown birch beer. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. I, I got to tell you, we discussed this before, but having not had sugar in about two weeks, I kind of want to rip your throat out while I watch you <sighs> drink that. You're foaming at the mouth. You're drooling. I want to rip your throat out as you swallow and then drink it. Wipe the drool. <laughs> You're, it's dripping on your shirt. Get that. Like, just can wipe, we just, just, can wipe we just it. Talk about, 
Can we just talk about how excited I am for Mad Max? Like that's that's the thought pops in my head when I think about really dark, like grotesque, like murder is Mad Max. See, I'm really thing. excited. I'm not as excited as you. I mean, I'm excited, and the trailer does look. I went back and rewatched the trailer after I kind of poo pooed <sighs> it that one night. Yeah, I know, I know, and uh, it does look super epic. So we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Okay. Well, tonight we're going to get a little bit more serious with you guys, listeners. We had a good fun time last episode, so now we're going to take this into educated conversation. <laughs> Can't even take that serious. It was not a fun time. It was so uncomfortable. Okay. Serious, serious it fun. It was fun comfortable. Michael and I, as lovers of film, spent a lot of, time, a lot of our time watching films. Mm-hmm. I now watch about 75 films a semester. That's crazy. See, that's like yeah. way up for me. I'm like watching two a week, you know, three yeah. a week. Yeah. Well, I watch 75 films, and they're not necessarily all art house films. I mean, last semester I spent, you know, I was in a 20th century film history class. Cool. And I got to watch everything from the very first film test by the Lumiere Brothers yeah. to the very first film test by Edison. Like, everything, all the way up to, you know, films as late as um, There Will Be Blood. Oh, yeah. I got to watch 2001, your, one of your favorite films, The Space Odyssey. I got that's, to watch that that's on a the classic. big screen. Oh, that's cool. That's what we, that's what we open with. I would, pay, yeah. I would pay money to go see that on the big screen. Like, imagine if they, like, redid that and you could see it in IMAX or something. Oh, like, yeah. That would be nuts. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a fun experience, you know, watching older films in a the theater. And I think my first experience was that was back in 2012. I was still living in Utah, and the local Cinemark there in Orem gave me it. It had a special showing of Casablanca, mm. and I up to this point I owned Casablanca, but I didn't necessarily enjoy Casablanca. I was like, yeah, it's okay, but I didn't get it. It's, but watching it's, it in theaters, good. No, it's top of the proto noir category. It is <laughs> proto noir. Oh, geez. <laughs> so dumb. Callback. Um, but watching it in a theater, I got it. It made so much more sense to me. Mm. And I don't know what it is about the setting. It's the, the, the distraction-free situation that we're in. It's just very incredible. So You're hi- like hyper-focused, right? Hyper-focused. Yeah. People aren't running around. I can't have my phone out. I can't have my tablet out. But I don't have it anymore. I can't... You know, it's like... That's what I'm doing. I, I'm and, so jealous because I like all the films that you're watching. You're watching them in like a full theater, right? Yeah. Like, like I, so, I mean, it's half an IMAX. Yeah, to have that kind of experience, to be able to watch like all of these classics and like strange and obscure films that are like you know broadening your mind. Like, I'm so so jealous. Like, I would just, oh, I want to come down to film school. No, it's. <laughs> You should come out and visit. I'm sure they'd let you shadow my classes. But it's it's pretty awesome. And so, yeah, we, I mean, we went through a lot of great stuff. I saw Apocalypse Now. I saw, you know, Citizen Kane. I saw, so like, so many different films in that theater last last year. And this semester, I'm in a film called The Bleed, uh, in a class called The Bleeding Edge. And it's all about films that don't follow necessarily the three-act structure. It's about... You know, surrealism and experimentalism and French New Wave and all these interesting things. Hmm. So I don't know what any of that is. Really? Okay. Well, maybe I'll have to do a write-up on the website about it. That would be awesome. Not, we can't really explain it here. It's just so many things. But 
you can kind of think of surrealism or um, experimental film as a story told without a three-act structure, without a narrative, oftentimes without a protagonist. Mm. There's no arc. It's just sequences of images and things happening that may seem strange. You can kind of imagine it like a bad trip on drugs. That's what you're watching. But they're designed to evoke emotions in you, and specifically you, not an entire audience. Hmm. Right. So, some, so some might speak more to you than others, or might, or one might speak more to someone else in the audience than you. Right. Or even another way to look at it could be even, how does this film speak to me, and how does it speak to you? Because they're two different. We're two different people with two different lives. Interesting. So it's really interesting. The Russians did some tests when they were first, you know, when they first got their got a hold of cameras. They were doing tests where they basically put the same image of a man. And then they put him, uh, they intercut it with a woman, a beautiful woman. They intercut it with food. And they intercut it with, like, something else. And it's it's really interesting because it's the exact same footage of a man. And afterwards, people came up and they were like, oh, my gosh, when he looked at that woman, like, I could just feel his desire for her. Or when he looked at the food, I just knew how hungry it was. And it was the exact same footage, completely separated. And it really teaches you a lot about how... It's so subjective. Our understanding of film is so subjective. Yeah. Because, yeah, wow. Because it could mean anything or it, it could be interpreted as anything. Or it can be used, you know, as like kind of a propaganda thing. So, Triumph of the Will, which is the Nazi propaganda film that got basically got Hitler elected. If you watch that film, you kind of like Hitler. <laughs> this is before he did all the bad stuff, right? Yeah. But you kind of, you get it. Like, He's this man coming into this oppressed nation, lifting them up, and it's like, it's all about how things are intercut, how you you have one image next to another image, and what kind of a psychological effect that has on you. Hmm. So it's very, very interesting. And I think it's made me more aware of everything from music that I listen to, to obviously news or, you know, other other media outlets. Yeah. So it's it's been very eye-opening. Quick, quick question. With that um, propaganda film, do they know who made it? Yeah, and did she they was know, tried for war crimes. Did, did she, she make? Did that, she make anything else though? Um, um, yeah, she did. I'll pull it up, but um, okay. yeah, she was tried for war crimes, and they were like, they were basically, "What's your defense?" And she's like, "I'm a filmmaker. I was hired to make a film. I made a film. A really that's good, all I did. A really good one." <laughs> yeah, she's like, "That's all I did," and she was like, "Oh, because I mean, it's art and it's freedom of speech, and it, she was contracted to do it." So. Right, right. Interesting. I'd be, I'd be curious to see how her films compare. Like, you know, that propaganda film where it's kind of led and, and probably, um, you know, she was hired to make this, right? But maybe yeah. one where she had more freedom and control over the, over the medium and choosing what her story was that she wanted to tell. I'd, be, I'd be curious to see what, what else she did. Yeah. So it's Lenny Riefenstahl and Riefenstahl. Yeah, she directed eight films. Okay. And she, I believe she ended up coming to America to make films as well. Let's hope. Yeah, so she did Olympia, part one, part two, and a film called Lowlands. And I think she was the highest paid director. Hmm. Like, they should, like, out of all directors, including men. Mm, and this amazing. was, like, 1935. Wow. So it's huge. I mean, it's huge. Yeah, and she died in 2003 at the age of 101. Oh, good old Lenny. Yeah, so very interesting. Very cool. So 
I guess my a question that we we've kind of talked about and we've talked about this, but maybe we can talk about it here for our listeners is how um, how do you think this this is changing your opinions of films? Like, are you becoming the the stuck up film critic and and rightfully so because you're you're seeing what truly makes a good compelling story or you know narrative that you're trying to follow and how it captures the audience and how that's portrayed and how it's built and put together like how how are all these films affecting you because so far i haven't seen you be like all hoity-toity like i'm not gonna see american sniper because right i i hate the pretentiousness of of film school and i feel like there's a lot of that here and it's, you know, oh, I'm a junior. I know so much about film, and so I'm going to voice my opinion. And everyone's a critic, right? Everyone yeah. has an opinion. So I feel like I'm re- still really good at disassociating myself and, like, enjoying a good story. Huh. So I can enjoy a film for what it's supposed to be, not necessarily a perfect film. I'm not judging them against that standard, if that makes sense. Right, right. I'm looking at it for... As an audience member, what does this do for me? Or in this genre, how what does this do for me? Not right. necessarily a how does this stack up against Citizen Kane? Right? Yeah. Or yeah. you know, it's just, it's like yeah, I'm not looking at it that way. What I do know what I do know now is that I do spend a lot of time looking at things like one, um, set decoration, mise en scène. Like what is what is in the background? How does that make me feel? And a perfect example of that is actually the the example that we we use here is um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is you know it's okay. in the Museum of Modern Art now because if you look at the mise en scène, it's disgusting. It makes you feel dirty and gross, and that's what sells this really crappily made indie film. So. Things like that, I pay attention to sound. I pay attention to like technical things, like a sound bridge is when there's text, hap- there's dialogue or sounds happening somewhere that leads you into a new scene. Like, man, I wish I had a hot dog, and then you're at a hot dog stand. That's called a sound bridge. I pay attention to how music moves me, or like how it would move one while they're watching it, things like that. But I'm not looking at it from the sense of, oh, this story sucked because it was about Ninja Turtles, which is obviously fake. Or, like, there's people here who crap on Transformers all the time, and I'm like, it's Transformers. I'm not going to that to be, like, uplifted. I'm going to that to watch giant robots knock the crap out of each other. Yeah, that's that's They're, what it is. That's, that's exactly I, what it yeah. is. I know what I'm doing when I hand them my ticket, and if you hate Michael Bay so much, stop watching his stuff. But it's it's like a buzz thing to hate Michael Bay, and it's a buzz thing to make fun of J.J. Abrams for lens flares, and it's I hate it. It, it annoys me to no end. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think they have a point about Michael Bay because I saw I walked out of Project Almanac. Like it was terrible. Was that Michael Bay? Did he direct that or did he produce uh, it? Maybe he just produced it, but it was so terrible. Like really? it was so so terrible. So I walked out of it, and then we went and saw Mordecai, the one with uh, Johnny Depp instead. And that was not great either, oh, really? but definitely better. It was an intent. It was meant to be. It was a comedy, so there were at least some laughs, you know. Um, one yeah. little thing that I, I thought would be interesting. So I've I've worried, not worried. I've wondered if, um, like, how Hollywood and this like kind of educated film crowd compares to um, the average person, you know. And I've always been interested right. with like the average people their their reviews and their opinions on films but um 
I, I read something today that kind of gave me some hope on this, actually. So um, our good our good uh, friend Neil Blomkamp, right? Yeah. So we both we both loved District Nine, and yeah. we both enjoyed Elysium, right? Um, and I'm not really super excited for Chappie, but I was uh, excited for the first trailer of Chappie, but the story is very different Ooh. in the subsequent trailers. Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, I need to go back. Now I need it's to like watch about this. war and action and like, yeah. Go ahead. Huh. Anyway, well, well. Anyway, so Neil Blomkamp said that he um, he wants to go back, and if he could, he would redo Elysium. Really? Because because he feels like the story was not strong enough, and he wasn't paying attention to the story enough. He said that he's the type of person that gets sold by concepts, and so this concept of having all of the rich living in a, in a giant diamond encrusted ring on, above the earth just was awesome to him and he was just like this is the coolest idea the coolest concept we need to go with this but they didn't get a good a strong enough storyline in there and so he felt like that's why um elysium kind of fell short and so he said if he could he would just go back and redo that because he felt like it was um a film built around a weak skeleton and um if he could have strengthened that then the film probably could have been 10 times better, you know? And so, right. um, but I thought, I thought that like, that's amazing for a director to go back and say that after the fact. And, you know, I mean, this is a multi-million dollar film that he's saying, uh, yeah, I could have done better, you know, like right. I should have done things different. And, and I think that's really big of him, but it also shows that like other people are sold by concept alone or ideas and, and they can let some of that story slide even you know, a highly regarded multi-million dollar film director, right? Right, right. Which is pretty cool. So that that one brings up kind of George Lucas, and people kind of knock him for like all the changes he makes to Star Wars, but he says, no, it's not done. Like, I, and there are things that frustrate me, there are things I wish I could have done. Mm-hmm. So, like, I was just telling you before this, I, I recently watched all of the special features on the Blu-rays for Star Wars. I watched cool. all the special features on Indiana Jones, the collector's edition, like all that stuff. And... One of the things he talks about, there's this segment called the anatomy of a dewback, and a dewback is the little, it's the little guy who's just sitting there when they're like, we're combing the desert, right? Yeah. And they're like on tattooing, and he's like, it, it bothers me, and it's bothered me that that was just like a rubber monster that was sitting there because I could not afford to make an animatronic, you know, monster. I couldn't do it. And he's like, and secondly, it has always bothered me that there have been two stormtroopers. You know, there's like two or three guys there, and I want to increase the intensity, but we just didn't have the budget for it. So he went in and they reshot all of that stuff, and then they added in an animated back when they redid the stuff in the late 90s. And we may hate on it, but it's him getting across the story the way he wanted it because yeah. it, it bothered him. And the intensity does build because there's, you know, six or seven stormtroopers there. And they're talking about how they're just, like, all over the planet. Yeah. Well, and, you know, props to him for, for going back and having, like, the courage to do that. I think that, like, knowing that, knowing that this is such a huge um, franchise, like, he had to have known that there would always be critics that would say negative things. Right. Just like there were when Star Wars first came out. Like, the, the lead... Um, guy who does all of the stuff who did all the stuff for uh like new york times was just they were just talking about it on maybe nerdist or something but he hated it and he hated star wars when he first saw it 
and wow. he came back like like for the special edition and said you can't ignore like the passion and and the story that this brought for like the fans and it, it grew into this giant thing and so it's pretty i mean it's pretty cool but um what was i what was i saying oh george lucas has said though that uh, like it's hard for him to give up these reins and say okay you guys own this now this is now it's i'm done with it but he said he's also really excited to be able to go into the theater and be a fan for once instead of being well, worried about cool. what everyone else is saying and so that's cool. yeah i i think that uh i think it's really cool yeah that's awesome so another thing that's really cool for anyone who's interested you brought up story and you brought up like you know how do people look at that there's a really cool thing there are transcripts of the three days of meetings between george lucas steven spielberg and Larry Kasdan talking about the development of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. And you, there's transcripts online. Like, I have a PDF of it. Really? You can just read the conversations. It's really interesting where, you know, George Lucas is talking, like, big picture, and he's like, you know, this needs to be some an action serial. It needs to be very interesting, which means it's almost mathematical. Like, And he has a mathematical approach to his films, which is, right. you know, it's almost mathematical. Like, every 10 to 20 minutes, there needs to be action. We need to be throwing him into a new experience, like hmm. something rocking the boat and it's it's just really interesting to, to see that and read it and like watch these indie, these pros break that down because I mean Larry Kasdan wrote Empire Strikes Back you know Steven Spielberg Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and George Lucas is George Lucas yeah you know, the other the other thing by the way the other thing by the way that I, I realized was or I recently learned is do you know how Steven Spielberg got his job how he got started in film no he snuck on to I can't remember what um, what uh, lot, but he snuck on a lot, found an empty office, and just worked there for a day or two. What? And he just like went up to someone, was like, "Hey, uh, there's still not a phone in my office." And someone's like, "Okay, we'll get that." And he's like, um, "Also, I don't have business cards." And I'm like, "Okay, we'll get you some." No and he's way. Like working there. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the story. And my screenwriting teacher, who's been in the industry for you know 30 years. That's incredible. <laughs> he's like, the finally, the guy was like. Like someone was like, this guy's just been camping out over here. Like we got to kick him out. And he's like, no, that guy's got some cojones. Let's give him a job. That's how he got started. I do not have those cojones. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, you kind of have to, I guess, if if that's your if that's your passion and that's your dream, and you know you can do something, you're like you have to throw yourself into it full, right. you know, full steam. Yeah. Well, we're a little over time here. I. I uh, hopefully this has been an entertaining conversation and I would love to continue talking about this on Twitter SmellyCast at SmellyCast or at P. Hudson on Facebook um, my Facebook's been weird so I haven't been able to comment or respond to people unless it is as our SmellyCast brand really? weird so that's why I haven't been like responding to things people have been saying so I'm sorry I haven't been, been responding to this stuff but we, we like your ideas we love the comments and feedback we get back and so please keep doing that and if, if you want to hear more of my opinions on film or what film school is kind of teaching me about this stuff, I'd be happy to continue talking about it. Satisfy my existential issues. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're a thought leader, Phil. No, we're right. You yeah. are. Whatever. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, Smelly Bellies. Tune in Ciao. next time. Bye.